and welcome to this special episode of Paperback Readers. It's not even really an episode. It's a mini episode, <laughs> a bonus episode, whatever you want to call it. But uh, in any case, inspired by, in their lives, great writers on great Beatles songs. Uh, here's some slightly less famous writers on the Beatles songs that we like. Okay, we're going to start with our son, Ryan. My favorite Beatles song is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It's my favorite because I like its beats. It has been my favorite since I was about four. What happened when you were about four that made it your favorite? I watched the movie Sgt. Pepper and... Was it Sgt. Pepper? No, not Sgt. Pepper. I watched the movie Yellow Submarine. Sgt. Pepper was apparently a terrible movie. <laughs> Yellow Submarine wasn't a bad movie, though. No, and you loved it. You watched it so many times. And Dad had these figurines of Yellow Submarine with all the Beatles that I would play with. Eventually, they got a little old, and we got some new Yellow Submarine figures. And, well, if you looked under my bed right now, I would have all the Yellow Submarine figures. Because you've been playing with them lately, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Dad, you want to tell what those figures were? Oh, they were McFarland things from the 90s. The the toy store in the local mall had closed, and those were on clearance, and my mom saw them and thought they were cool, and they sat in the box for, oh, 15 years or so until the kids got to mess with them, and they discovered the Beatles through Yellow Submarine. Who is your favorite Beatle? Ringo. One time I went to see him in concert, and he waved at me. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Cool experience. All right, thanks, man. All right. And here's Natalie. So, recently I listened to the Beatles song Penny Lane, and I ended up deciding it was my favorite Beatles song and one of my favorite songs from any music artist. But why is it such an awesome song? Number one, it's a very catchy piece of music. Ignoring the lyrics for now, the song itself is a catchy, upbeat song. The music itself sounds good and like a pop song, and that's the type of music I really enjoy. Two, it describes a place in lots of detail. Moving on to the lyrics, the song is about a place, and it describes the people there and a few things about them, enough that you can judge their personalities and picture the place pretty well. Also, the parts where the lyrics say that something is very strange show the listener what to expect in Penny Lane and what normal is there. Even the chorus is descriptive. Penny Lane is in my ears and in my eyes, and beneath the blue suburban skies. Number three, it makes you feel happy. Some songs are sad and have miserable endings, and while those are pretty good for when you are sad and want to listen to someone who is also sad... People don't usually want to be sad 24-7, and so it's good to have some good, happy songs, too. Between how catchy it is and how good the lyrics are, Penny Lane is a happy song and makes you happy just to listen to it. So this catchy, descriptive piece of music is so good that it's my favorite Beatles song, and I hope you listen to it and enjoy it, too. I am sitting in the back seat of my parents' car as it heads for home. It's dark outside and cold. I feel the chill from the window I'm leaning my head against. Christy is beside me, my constant companion in all my shenanigans, and for once, we are not kicking each other for more space or playing an imaginary game that gets progressively louder and always somehow involves Joey McIntyre, as my parents try to talk over us. We are both quiet, each staring out the window at the familiar landmarks shrouded in darkness and mystery flashing past. My dad adjusts the volume on the radio, and I want to hold your hand flows through the speakers. I don't know who the Beatles are, and I won't have more than a vague understanding of them or their cultural influence for many years, not until I'm an adult and meet the man who will be my husband. 
He's dismayed, but not shocked that I don't really know Bob Dylan, but at least relieved that I, I know who the Beatles are, even if I can't pick out the different voices or immediately recognize who wrote each song. But I do know that I love this song, this feeling, this soft, comforting energy that feels like my dad's love as he sings along, tossing his own mop of dark hair. I want to hold your hand, he sings, and he grabs my mom's hand and kisses it. She smiles at him, and I snuggle against the window, letting their love and this music twine together and wash over me. It sounds like safety and happiness and the innocence of my childhood, and a pinch of all this comes back to me whenever I hear this song or any of the music that rolled from the Nashville Oldie Station that was my dad's favorite. My kids know the Beatles, of course. They cut their teeth on Beatles songs and were lisping the names John, Paul, George, and Ringo when they could barely talk. They have favorite albums and songs, and even though they have moved on to their own musical taste, they're still vaguely irritated with me that I've never been able to choose one song or one album that's my favorite. My Beatles experience is different from theirs, and yet for all of us, Beatles music sounds like home. Yesterday, in the car, I ignored my son's request for his favorite 80s-era rap music or the handful of Hamilton songs he loves. I pulled up a 60s playlist on Spotify, remembering all the times as teens that we complained about having to listen to my dad's oldies music. When it's your car, you can choose the music, he would say, and I clicked shuffle, letting the music he always chose fill the car. And I sang along, the kids in the backseat listening as help played through the speakers, and I hoped that they also felt my love. In one of my favorite books ever, The Heart of Rock and Soul, author Dave Marsh says that Strawberry Fields Forever is the 951st best single of all time. Marsh says it doesn't work as universally as Beatles songs like Help or even Don't Let Me Down, unless you'd rather work a rebus than dance, he writes. And maybe I would. I think Strawberry Fields Forever is the greatest Beatles song ever, which might make it the greatest song ever, and the unfathomable mystery of the song is exactly why. I didn't get drawn to rock and roll by the beat, the careworn vocals that came from you and me as Don McLean wrote in American Pie, or even by the transformative value of love. I came for the mystery. Growing up in the hills of eastern Kentucky, my musical inheritance was two end tables full of 33s and a massive cabinet of 45s. It was a world that was unknown and unknowable. I thought the duo that sang bread and butter were old white people because they sounded like a country lawyer from my father's Episcopal church and his kindly septuagenarian wife. I thought Over the Mountain Across the Sea was sung by a man and a woman, which made the song kind of weird. But there were so many faint clues about the music that I could see but through a glass darkly. Everybody in my family still laughs at my crossed-up country ears turning Leslie Gore's Maybe I Know That He's Been Cheating into Maybe I Know A Little Cheese. Seemed plausible to me. The Beatles in general were less mysterious than most. There were a couple of LPs, so I could see pictures. Even at the tiny local public library, there was a book or two and a documentary movie that I nearly wore out. But outside of the solid documentable facts, Strawberry Fields forever remained a mystery. From that weepy opening Mellotron to John's weird diction and circular narration, as much as you could learn about the song, named for the orphanage near John's aunt's house, there was so much you couldn't know. Nothing to get hung about? No one, I think, is in my tree? That's never really changed for me. There's a darkness and even a little despair in Strawberry Fields Forever, but there's also a hope that there is another world. Over the hedges and through the fence lies something different, better, maybe just other. But Lennon wasn't going to give you too many clues about exactly what, and even fewer about exactly how to get there, which made me want to go even more. No less so at 40 than at 6 or 7 when I first found the road map, on a scratchy, yellow and orange swirled Capital 45. Maybe we were all in your tree after all, John. Or at least, we really wanted to be. 